Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. If you got a Bible with you, I invite you to go ahead and uh, open it to uh, Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37, because we're going to spend pretty much our entire morning together right around in 37 and, and the chapters that follow. If you haven't uh, been with us in a while, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been in a series called Across the Threshold, and the whole purpose of this series is to get us to take a hard look at whatever we call home. Believing that when you cross the threshold of your front door and whatever you're stepping into, I don't know if it's a house, if it's an apartment, whatever it is. I don't know who's in that house with you. If it's just you and you're by yourself or you got some roommates or a spouse or some kids or a golden retriever, I don't know. But whatever it is, that when you cross that threshold, my deep belief is that God's heart for that home is it's a sanctuary for you. It is a place where you can find encouragement and you can find peace and you can know love and you can, like God intended for our homes to be a haven. And we were looking at Isaiah 32, 18 that kind of says this about God's heart for our home. And, and this is what I deeply believe that, you know, I hear everybody talking about we need revival, we need revival, but before it happens in the church, it's gonna have to happen in your house. That if those embers would start to burn in your home and in your own heart, then the church will be lit up. It'll be lit. Did I use that right, anybody? Okay. My daughter is like mortified right now, aren't you, baby? That's okay. I'll bring you up here. Say I won't. Okay. Uh, that's a running joke. My son wants to come. My daughter's like, no, I'm not doing it. And I really thought we would be done with this series by now, if I'm honest. And like every week, God keeps putting something different on my heart. And, and some of it, some God, why, what are we trying to do here? And over the last few weeks, I've been just thinking about this whole connection between what we've been talking about, our homes, and family. Because those two, when, are you like me? Those, when you think about home, you think about family. And, and but here's the reality. Family's tricky. Y'all did the same thing the first service, did that nervous laughter, like, hmm, <laughs> Fa Family's a tricky thing. Come on, somebody. I mean, I know like tomorrow's Labor Day, which means half y'all putting your Christmas tree up on Tuesday. <laughs> Forget the pumpkins, bring out the tree. That's what some people just feel. Uh, but so, you know, we moved, we, we're moving towards holidays and holidays are like family drama because you had a third cousin that hurt you in 1986 and you can't stand to see her. <laughs> Family's a tricky thing. And you know what's interesting is, but we also know that family is, is a God thing too, right? That, again, God started this earth through, through family, through Adam and Eve and their children. Family is an important thing. Family, you know, the, the people that we see first often impact us the most. Come on. That the people that we see first often impact us the most. But family's a, a really, really tricky dynamic because just like we've talked about throughout this series, the family you grew up in either kind of set you up for your faith or, or gave you things you had to overcome to step towards God, right? That the family you grew up in were, were the first places you saw a lot of stuff and you've either, you either are who you are because of it or in spite of it. You've either kind of fallen in line or you've risen above. And here's what's interesting. When you open up the scriptures, 
we don't get a lot of glimpses into really good, healthy families. Have you ever noticed that? Like, there's some, there's some families in the scriptures that put the fun in dysfunction. There are families in scripture that make our crazy families look like sane. Have you ever noticed that? And so I started reading. I was like, all right, God, if you want me to, like, talk some things about family, let me find some, some good stuff about, okay, they, they crazy, they crazy, they did what? Uh, this happened to these people? And number one, it made me feel a little normal. Come on, somebody. But there's a specific family and a specific person who was, whose life was greatly impacted by his family that, that God just kind of pushed me back into over the last few weeks. And so I've just been reading his story, and, and I really thought that this story was just kind of my own devotional time and, and not something I would preach. And then felt like this week God said, like, you need to talk about this. And it's the story of a guy that you're familiar with, or maybe you're not, I don't know. His name's Joseph. See, God decided that there was gonna be, he was gonna bring Jesus into the world. And so he had to pick a people group in order for him to bring the Messiah to the world through. And so he made a promise to a guy named Abraham and Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had all these sons and his favorite was Joseph. He's the one that got that fancy Gucci coat in the, in the Old Testament. Y'all remember the coat of many colors? Y'all, Sunday school, that's when you got the whole box of crayons that you got to open up that Sunday because you could just pick whatever color you want to. Like, that's, that's Joseph. Joseph was born to Jacob in an older age, and so he was his favorite. And so, like, he doted on him, and he made it very clear to everybody, this is my boy, this is my favorite. Joseph was the baby. Anybody here the baby of the family? You the spoiled ones? I'm the baby. The oldest in the room? Yeah, y'all the test dummies? right? Your parents just like, this is our first go. And then so like that first child comes out and you walk out of the house, you put them in bubble wrap, right? And, and then that's, that, that third child comes along, you just drag them by the leg through Walmart. Like it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? But Joseph was, the, Joseph was the baby. He was the favorite. And so just the fact that obviously his, his dad seemed to favor him, which would have been really against that culture, right? Because the oldest son was the one with the rights, the one with all the stuff. And, and his brother's all of them, apparently, just had a disdain for Joseph, his own brothers. And there comes a point where Joseph has this dream, and it's God revealing something to him about what's going to happen far in the future. And Joseph, at this point, he really is not even, I don't even think he knows how, what to do with it or how to make sense of it, but he makes the mistake of telling his brothers about that dream it's just one more reminder. Be careful who you share a dream with before they may, may or may not, may not be ready. And he shares this dream with them. And, and they see like, oh, so you have this dream of where we're kind of bowing down to you and you're Lord over us. Like, man, we really hate you now. Like, this is, this is enough. And this disdain and this hatred begins to grow and grow and grow. And once again, we don't know all the details. We don't know what all is happening in their house. We don't know if every time they sat down to the dinner table that Joseph got the first of the rolls or whatever. We don't know any of that. But there comes a point where Joseph is going out to meet his brothers in this place. And this is how they respond. Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 19. It says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns so that the, a ferocious animal will devour him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Wow, 
That escalated quickly, didn't it? It's one thing to be like, I really want his coat to, what if we killed him? What if we threw him in a pit and let an animal eat him? What's wrong with these boys? Like you thought you and your siblings fault? Next level, come on. But there's one of his brothers named Reuben. Has a little bit of a soft spot. And I don't know if that's so much for Joseph as much as it is for his father. He knew that, like, man, if something happens to Joseph, dad's not going to recover, man. It will devastate dad. And so they end up throwing him in this pit. And, and Reuben has this idea, like, I'm gonna, I'll go back and I'll get him. I'll rescue him. But then while he's away, his brothers end up selling him into slavery. And your sister barred your curling iron and you got mad. <laughs> right? Sells him into slavery. And, you know, I always wonder, what's going through Joseph's mind? Yeah, maybe he felt this tension with his brothers, but he ever expected, like, it's so bad that y'all want me dead? And now y'all have sold me to these strangers, and you have no idea what they're going to do with me? And the pain, and the confusion, and the fear. Joseph is now plucked from his home, plucked from his family, plucked from everything he had ever known. And he's going to about to go through a series of the most difficult, challenging things any human will ever have to go through. And who put him there? His own family. See, sometimes the people that we know first hurt us the most. And they actually make up this story. They take, they take his fancy little Gucci jacket and they kill an animal and they spread blood all over it. They take it back to their dad and like an animal got him. They lied to their own father. And obviously, Jacob's devastated. And now, Joseph's life is set on a completely different course. One that he didn't pick, one that he didn't want, one that he didn't choose. But now he's going to have to embrace. And he finds himself in the home. Now, because not only did he get sold once, he gets sold again. And he ends up in Egypt in the house of a man named Potiphar. And now this time, Egypt is, is like the superpower. They are as powerful and as wealthy as anybody in, in this region. And he ends up in Potiphar's house as a servant. And Joseph, he makes the most of it. Like he, he, he operates with honor and, and with integrity. And it says that, look at verse, uh, go to 39 verse two. Genesis 39 verse two. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, like, man, I'm done. Like, I ain't. Imagine how devastating this would be and even your overall approach in life. Like, so many of us, when life, if you've been in a position where you find yourself in a place that you don't deserve and didn't choose, look at, come on. You were found in an unfavorable position that you didn't earn, you didn't choose, you don't feel like you deserve. Have you ever had a moment when you were doing all the right things and nothing was going right? I gotta find somebody to talk to today. Come on. Have you, if you're in a position where you feel like you've done nothing wrong, but there's not a single thing going right, how do you respond in those moments? Because in, in those moments for me, 
I get frustrated, and often frustration leads to disobedience. But it says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered in everything he did, so much so that, that he becomes like the head of the house. Joseph, I mean, uh, uh, Potiphar lets Joseph have full reign of everything but one, his wife. And now his wife was an interesting lady. We don't know her name. We don't know much about her. But one of the things it says about Joseph, look at Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph was well-built. He's a well-built, handsome man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. He says, uh, come to bed with me. So here he finds himself in this position with this woman who's constantly making moves, flirting with him, coming at him. And you know what? This is one of those testy moments for us in our character. Because when you find yourself in a place that you didn't choose, you didn't want, it's so really easy to justify it as a reason to act in ways that don't honor God. It's so easy to find yourself in a way that doesn't honor God. And he keeps coming, she keeps coming at him, making advances, making advances. And Joseph knows that to do anything with this lady would not be God honoring, would not be what God wants from him. And so he resists her at every turn until one day she comes in, she grabs him by his shirt and gets a little bit forceful with him. He's a man of integrity and he refuses. So he jerks away, runs out, and at the same time it tears his cloak. And now, whether it be just out of anger or embarrassment, she goes to Potiphar, her husband, and basically says, Joseph tried to force himself on me. And of course, Potiphar's furious and has him thrown into prison. So now, not only has he been thrown into a pit by his brothers, left there to die, and then sold, not once, but twice. He steps into Potiphar's house, and even though all those things happened, even though all those things happened, he still managed to walk with integrity continue to honor God. And you know what was amazing at this point? I understand it's one thing to be bitter towards your brothers, but at this point, I'd be bitter at God, wondering why all this stuff happened. And you know, Joseph, Joseph comes from a family that was its own kind of hot mess at times. You know, sometimes we look at Jacob and we look at these families and that kind of stuff and we wonder, like, like well, he, Joseph did this because he was raised right, because his father was Jacob. But can I just remind you, Je Joseph has an older brother named Judah. And in the middle of this story, it tells us about Judah, who has a son who dies. And one day, Judah passes his son's widow thinking she's a prostitute, sleeps with her, and gets her pregnant. I know, that's, that's some like Davidson County stuff, ain't it? Like that's some, <laughs> it's, it's in the Bible. Everybody's looking at me crazy. This, all this is in the Bible. Joseph's older brother had a 
son whose wife was named Tamar. And one day he's walking through, he passed her, he thinks he's a prostitute, he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, it creates this whole ordeal. So it's not like Joseph, you know, grew up in this place where, where everybody was perfect and, and he was taught all these things. You know, see, it's not like he's, he's not working against some of the same history that some of us have to work against in our family lineage. But somehow, in this moment, he's now in prison and he has opportunity after opportunity just to abandon God, to live in bitterness, and to walk away from Anything that looks like integrity and character. But everywhere he ends up, somehow he manages to leverage it in a way that demonstrates a level of character that I hope that we all have. Come on, somebody. Go into Genesis chapter 39 once again. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of of the prison warden. What will you do when, when provision feels like punishment? What will you do when provision feels like punishment? You ever had a time like that? It feels like punishment, but it's really provision. And there's, there's stories all in my life that it felt like punishment at the time, but hindsight helps me see that wasn't punishment, that was provision. It wasn't punishment when my mom and dad wouldn't let me get in the car with that fool. <laughs> it, was, it was provision. Come on, somebody. It wasn't punishment when, when, when God said no in that season of life and didn't answer that prayer. It wasn't punishment, it was provision. Come on, somebody. It wasn't punishment, it was provision when that thing that you desperately wanted didn't go the way you wanted it to, but now it's opened the door for all kinds of amazing things that God can do in and through your life. And here, Joseph is in this prison, and he ends up having a conversation with a guy who wasn't supposed to be there really either. It was a, one of Pharaoh, his cupbearers, ended up in prison with him. The cupbearer was the guy that would basically taste everything that the Pharaoh would drink to make sure, what a job. <laughs> Just, it's good. And when he gets out, he makes Joseph a promise, like, I'll remember you. I'll, I'll try to do something to, to help you out, to get you out of here. And two years go by. And it says in the Bible, in chapter 40, that he forgot Joseph. You ever been in a place you don't want to be so long you feel like God's forgotten you? Again, what do you do in those moments? When you find yourself once again in a place you didn't choose, you don't really think you deserve you don't want to be, will you continue to operate in obedience to God? Because see, so often our obedience is shaped by outcome. And if we don't get the outcome we want, we abandon the obedience that God deserves. And somehow Joseph, at every turn, begin, continues to operate with this unbridled obedience and honor and integrity and character with God, and then there comes this moment when Pharaoh has a dream that he can't make sense of. And the cupbearer overhears this and says, hey, I think I met a guy, this Hebrew kid in jail that might can help you. And so eventually, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells him this dream. And he says, I heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, um, God can, I can't, but God can. And if God would see fit to give me some insight, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to hear it. 
And essentially, Joseph hears this dream from Pharaoh, and God gives him insight, and he says, here's, here's what your dream means, that the, you're going to experience seven years of abundance like you've never seen it before. It's going to be seven years of, of just abundance like Egypt has never seen. But after that, there's going to be seven years of such a severe famine that it's going to be unlike anything that you're supposed to. That, you, that you've seen. And so you need to leverage these next seven years to prepare for the seven that are to come so that the nation will survive. And what happens is, is God puts Joseph, look at it, go, go back into the scripture. Genesis chapter 41, verse 39. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Did you see what just happened? Here's Joseph, whose jealous, hate-filled brothers couldn't stand him so much to the point that it left him in a pit to die only to sell him into slavery and have no clue what was gonna happen to him next. Joseph remained honorable and stuck to his character and believing God was who he says he is and even in Potiphar's house, no matter the advances that came from Potiphar's wife, he refused them. His reward for that is he got thrown into a prison where he was forgotten for years and now all of a sudden, He's the second most powerful man in the world. Look at me. Faithfulness to God will always work out. Faithfulness to God will always work out. Now, you might have to redefine favor. Look at me, okay? I'm not saying you remain faithful to God in five years, you're gonna be a billionaire. That's not what I'm saying. But you remain faithful to God, it will always work out. It may not work out the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it, but it will work out for his glory and your good. It will always work out. But see, something happens. This famine is so severe, it eventually gets all the way to his brothers and his family. And they hear Egypt is the only place you can go to find what you need to survive. Egypt is the only place. So they end up going to Egypt, and next thing you know, here's Joseph looking through the door, and him walks his brothers. And they don't recognize him, but he sure recognizes them. What would you do in that position? Oh, I'm going to teach them a lesson now. <laughs> Come on. Let's just be honest about how, how we are most often. Like, here's this opportunity you're, faith, you're standing face to face with the people who are responsible, as you feel, maybe anyway, for so much pain and so much hardship. Every time you see the face of one of those brothers, you think about those nights in that jail cell. All the things that you've experienced, all the days that were lost with the father that you love so deeply. The emo not just the physical things he went through, but the emotional. I didn't get to grow up with my dad, and all these years have been lost. But look how he responds when he stands before his brothers. Look at verse 4 of chapter 45. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph 
the one you sold in Egypt. Now, I'd have loved to have been there to see the faces, see their reactions to hearing this news. But look what he says next. Look at verse 5. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Don't you pray for that kind of perspective? Don't you pray for that kind of perspective, that kind of forgiveness? Here you stand face to face before the source behind so much of your struggle. And their fate is in your hands. You have the power to execute retribution if you want to. And he says, it's because to save lives that God sent me here to you. That somehow, through all this, Joseph didn't let himself grow a bitter root, didn't let himself, the means that it took for him to get there didn't cause him to lose sight of the mission God had for him once he got there. And see, sometimes that can happen to us because the means that God will use to get us where he wants us to go isn't always easy, is it? It isn't always, the path that you get to walk towards your purpose is very rarely one of your choosing. Because if you could choose it, it would have been a lot easier, say amen. But he has this perspective and he goes back and his brothers, long story short, his brothers end up going back and they tell his dad, skip ahead to to verse uh, 25 of chapter 45. So so they went up out of Egypt and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Cana. They told him, Joseph's still alive. In fact, he is ruler over all Egypt. And Jacob was stunned. Oh, yeah? Jacob was stunned and he did not believe them. Verse 27, but when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob Revived, And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, can I just, you know what sticks out to me about this part? When he realizes that jo- J- J- Joseph is alive, why ain't Jacob mad at his, at his other sons? I'd have been like, wait a minute. If he's alive, that means y'all been lying to me for all these years. And I've tried to figure out, like, why is why does that not happen in the story? And, and, and I'll never know. We'll never know. But there's sometimes when the beauty and joy of the truth has enough power to drown out the pain of the lie. Does that make sense? That in that moment, all that mattered was he's alive. And yeah, I could sit here and I could fuss y'all out and have these conversations and be mad and be angry and be bitter or I can get to my son who I haven't seen in years and not waste a single minute on what I can't change but only go forward to what is and what is now. And then there comes a point where they meet and they embrace. And there comes a moment when even, they said, the Bible says that Joseph kicked everybody out so that he could just embrace and weep over his father. And they're reunited. And because of Joseph, because they hated him so much, he was able to save all of them. Isn't that weird? His family 
were the reasons behind so much of the pain in his life. But he never let that keep him from what God wanted to do. He didn't let what happened to him keep him from being able to do what God wanted to do through him. You can't let what they did to you stand in the way of what God wants to do through you. And all that to say, this, this is what I feel like God wanted us to learn from this. Joseph didn't come from the ideal family. He didn't grow up in the ideal house. And like most of us, he had some things that he had to overcome. Come on. And some of us, like we feel like the family we grew up in is the reason why we can never do the things that we feel like God's called us to do. That, that if, Matt, if you knew my situation, if you knew how my dad was, if you knew my family, if you knew all the brokenness, if you knew the generational curses that I'm having to overcome, you'd have a lot less expectations for me. Matt, you, you sit here and you talk about having a healthy marriage. My family's never seen one. My parents didn't, their parents didn't, their parents. Like, if you look at where I'm from, My dad was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Of course I'm going to be one. But this is what I feel like the Lord wants me to say today. The family that you come from does not have to limit who you become. The family that you come from does not have to limit who you become. Joseph had every excuse in the world to give up, to say, do you know what my brothers did to me? When, pa, when, when, when he stood before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, will you interpret my dream? The last time he fell for that, his brothers wanted to kill him. Remember? When he stands before Potiphar, I mean before Pharaoh, and, and has the opportunity to interpret that dream, if he had let what happened to him in the past keep him from being obedient in the present, what would have happened? The family that you come from does not have to limit who you become. I know that there are people in this room and people watching online, you're convinced that because of the family you come from, you've let them put a lid on your life. And you're convinced because that's where you're from, you can never become all the things that maybe you feel like God is stirring in your heart. You remember I told you about Joseph's older brother, Judah, who had the affair with Tamar and that whole situation, you, right? This is not on the screen, but if you want, go to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew, who followed Jesus, who grew up in the Jewish tradition, when he opens his gospel, he writes down this genealogy of who, from whom Jesus come, came and the people that were in his family history. And if you look at verse three, it says Judah, that brother of Joseph, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That even in Jesus' family tree, there was baggage, there was brokenness. So that brokenness that's in yours, that lid that you've put on your life because the family that you came from, it's time to take it off.
it's time to take it off. You can be the one that has a healthy marriage. You can be the one that goes to college. You can be the one that breaks free from the addiction. You can be the one. My father never loved me, never hugged me. You can say that. You can be the one to break that with your kids. You can be the one. Don't let the family you come from limit who you can become. Don't let what happened to you limit what God wants to do through you because Joseph overcame it. Jesus proven it's possible. You do not have to fall in the same deadly, unhealthy, broken patterns. Be the one. Be the one that breaks it. Be the one that steps into freedom. Joseph would look at his brothers after his dad died and they were concerned of what they were gonna do, what he was gonna do to them. And he steps out to him and says, listen, you don't have to worry. What you meant for evil, God intended for good. Stand on your feet with me. I don't know what kind of family stuff you're having to work through. I don't know what kind of drama and brokenness or generational curses that you feel like lay on your life. But this is what I know. We serve a God who is about overcoming. He said, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome your family. I have overcome those generational curses that you think have to own you. And so today, before we walk out, we're going to worship like free people. Free of the bondage and baggage that maybe has been following our family around for far too long. So God, I pray that as we worship you right now, that you would begin to set people free. For God, the people in the room that for far too long have looked back in their lineage and let that lineage put a lid on their lives. They believed that they could never be a good dad, a good mom. They never believed they could do a lot of the things that maybe you're calling them to do. And God, I thank you for the reminder today that God, how we start is not how we have to finish. Where we began, we can overcome. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak into people's hearts right now and that you would help people find freedom all over this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.